Brothers, we are in Genesis 46 today, and I hope you have your Bibles open to that and in front of you. I think I shared this past Sunday night that during this past week, I heard a pastor, not one of our pastors, another pastor, ask the question out loud uh, in regards to all the events of this past week in our country. Um, what, is, what is God doing in our country right now? What is, what is God up to? And I think we have probably all asked that question in our lives at some point. If it wasn't this week that we asked the question, maybe some other point in our lives when things weren't going how we thought they should politically, we may have asked the question, what is God up to in this country? Maybe just economically, maybe in, in your own business or your own work, you're thinking, what is, what is God doing? What is God up to? Uh, or maybe it was deeply personal, uh, something in your own life where you say, I, I just wonder what God is is trying to do in my life. And as we have been looking at um, the book of Genesis, and particularly as we pick up now again a little bit more about Jacob, who we haven't seen in a while, I wonder if Jacob asked that same question. Um, You think about the different things that, that he went through. He certainly had reason to ask the question, what is God doing in my life? Um, He's made these promises to me. Um, What's he up to? What's what's he trying to uh, accomplish in my life? There were so many difficult and unusual turns in in Jacob's life. And and the most recent one being the fact that he thought he had lost Joseph uh, completely, his son, the son that he dearly loved. And now he hears at the end of chapter 45, as George spoke about last week, that um, Joseph is alive. And uh, Jacob is hearing this, and, and in hearing it, it says that his heart went numb. He, he almost had a heart attack uh, listening to this. Uh, and as he thought, maybe the puzzle of his own life, uh, a phrase that Alistair Begg uses, uh, did he wonder, what is, what is God doing? What is he up to? Uh, well, we're going to see uh, today, as we look at, these, uh, at this passage, we're going to see um, what God is up to, not just in, in Jacob's life and in the life of, of Jacob's sons, um, but I think we're going to get a glimpse into what God is up to in our own lives. I'm going to read um, not all the chapter because there's this big long uh, uh, list of names in there, but I'm going to read the front section and then we'll skip over all the names. I'll explain it and we'll read uh, the last and final verses. So Genesis chapter 46 beginning at verse 1. So Israel, that's Jacob, took his journey with all he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in the vision of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob their father, their little ones, and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt, Jacob and all of his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters. All his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. Now these are the names of the descendants of Israel who came into Egypt, Jacob and his sons. And then it goes on beginning with with Reuben 
and lists all the sons, grandsons, and the wives that were connected to him. And then if you jump down to verse 26, it says this, All the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt, who were his own descendants, not including Jacob's sons, wives, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. He had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept a good while. Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, My brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? You shall say, Your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even until now, both we and our fathers. In order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Brothers, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Fathers, we do look at your word. We would ask that you would open our eyes that we might see wonderful things into it. Would you teach us and help us to understand what these words meant to those Israelites wandering in the wilderness as they first heard them. Help us to understand what these events meant to Jacob as he was experiencing them. And help us understand what your word, which is eternal for all of us, means for us right now. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you see from your notes and even from the title of how I've entitled things for Genesis 46, that we have three things to look at. We're going to look at the promise to Jacob. We're going to look at the protection of God's people. And we're going to look at the provision of the future. First of all, let's take a look at the promise to Jacob. Uh, Jacob decides that he actually believes his sons and that Joseph must be alive. He's seeing these carts that are coming from Egypt. He knows they're not Canaanite carts. They're not his carts. And so he says, we're going to go. And they head to Egypt, but they stop in Beersheba. And there's some significance to that, uh, the reason that they stop in Beersheba. It was the southern boundary of the Promised Land, so it was right there at the edge before they headed off into the Sinai Peninsula and headed, headed over to Egypt. But there was more than just that that was significant. Uh, this was a place that we've read about before and studied before. You remember in Genesis chapter 21, uh, Abraham was there in Beersheba. And Abraham planted a tree there, and then it says it, he called upon the name of the Lord. In other words, he worshipped and spoke with the Lord um, there in Beersheba. You also remember from Genesis chapter 26 that Jacob's father, Isaac, uh, did something similar. It says there in Beersheba that he heard from the Lord, Isaac did, and he worshiped God there. He worshiped Yahweh there. So Jacob stops there because it's significant. Now, why does he stop? What, what, is, what is gripping him in this moment, the reason he feels like he has to stop? Well, in Genesis chapter 26, God tells Isaac, don't go down to Egypt. Stay in the promised land. Trust me. Trust me that I will take care of you. Don't go down to Egypt. And so, 
uh, I believe, uh, along with many other scholars, that, that Jacob here uh, is wanting to be obedient to the Lord. And this would be in conflict here. See, he wants to see his son, but he wants to be obedient to the Lord. So he, he's going to stop there. He's going to worship and he's going to seek the Lord. Um, it's very interesting to note here that Jacob at this point in his life, having um, grown in his relationship with the Lord, uh, sanctified over really decades of God working uh, in his life, that Jacob has come to the place as a man where he understands that obedience to God is even more important than family. And it's not in conflict with family. It's not to say that we, we obey the Lord so and then it causes us to be in conflict with family. No, what we see here is that while he desperately wanted to see his son, it was more important to him that he obey God than simply that he make, work it out to see his son. I think there's a lesson in there for us. And that he wanted to worship and seek the Lord first before heading into Egypt. It reminds me of my father. I remember being a little worried towards uh, the midway through my, my senior year of college. And I, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew what I wanted to go into. I just didn't have a job. And I felt like I ought to be getting resumes out. I ought to be figuring out how I'm going to get a job. And uh, I talked to my dad about it at Christmas break. And I felt like he was going to give me this strategy of resumes and things like that. And uh, I'll never forget what he said. He just listened to me, kind of asked all these questions. And then he, the first, things out of, first thing out of his mouth was this. Um, Todd, have you prayed about it yet? I wanted to say yes, but I hadn't. I hadn't thought about it. I thought about all the things I needed to do. And I said, uh, no. And he said, well, you know, why don't we, why don't we just take a few days and let's, let's pray about it and see where God leads us. Um, it'd be great to say, wouldn't it, that, um, you know, that automatically worked and I got a call the next day or even to say, well, you know, that's what dads are supposed to say and didn't really work and I had to get a bunch of resumes out. Actually, um, the first resume I sent out, the Lord worked it out. I actually ended up at that place. Um, God answered prayers in ways that I, that I didn't expect. Here, Jacob is saying, uh, I'm going to seek the Lord and see what he has to say. What does God have to say here in these verses in Genesis 46? Um, well, it, it's, it's very moving what God has to say there. First of all, when he speaks to Jacob, um, which of course is, is so encouraging, when he speaks to Jacob, he calls himself the God of your father. Jacob, I am the God of your father, or Hal El. Um, and it's interesting to note here that this is, this is a, a different way than, he's than God has described himself previously. This is the fourth time now that God has shown mercy and grace to Jacob by, by speaking to him. And the previous times he called him, himself in chapter 28, he called himself Yahweh. I am I'm the Yahweh, I'm the Lord. Uh, in chapter 31, when he spoke to Jacob, he said, I am El Bethel. I am the God of Bethel. I'm the God of of this place where you're experiencing this grace. And then in chapter 32, he calls himself El Shaddai, um, the Lord, the commander. Um, and in all these things, God is trying to uh, describe himself to Jacob so that Jacob will understand um, that, that God loves him and that God uh, wants to be known by Jacob. 
And here he wants Jacob to know, I am the God of the covenant. I made a, I made a promise to your grandfather. I made a promise to your father. And I'm going to keep that promise to you. I am the God of your father. I am the God of the covenant. And now hear me, Jacob, as I speak to you as the God of the covenant. And he goes on and he says, I don't want you to be afraid to go down into Egypt. I'm going to make you a great nation. Now, this, he said this before, but he's never named Egypt. If you turn back in your Bibles uh, to chapter 15, when he makes the promise, the first covenant promise uh, to Abraham in Genesis 15, when he makes that covenant promise, he speaks about this time that he's going to make um, Abraham a great nation. And if you look at Genesis chapter 15, and you look at verses 13 and 14, you see this. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. And you and uh, and for you, you shall go to your father in peace. So here the promise when the covenant was made with Abraham was to remind him or to tell him, listen, your, your people, this is going to happen um, when your people are in a land for 400 years and are slaves, but I'm going to make them a great nation and bring them out. And now here, God is telling Jacob what that nation is. That nation is going to be Egypt. Don't be afraid to go there because there I'm going to to fulfill my promise to your grandfather to make you a great nation. And then he says this to Jacob, which must have been so dear to him. He says to Jacob, not only don't be afraid to go to Egypt, but know this, I will be with you and I will bring you out. And you know what? You've had fear about how you would die, but your son Joseph will close your eyes. I will go with you. What a powerful reminder for us that the right location for us to be is not necessarily a specific land. See, Jacob had been, had been told the promised land, you need to stay here to have the presence of God. And God is saying, no, I, I'm, my will is that you go here to Egypt and know this, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going with you. I'll be right there with you. Think about how powerful this is. We can't lose sight of this. Think about how powerful this is for the first audience to hear these words. Uh, I'm not talking about Jacob and the actual experience of this. I'm talking about the book of Genesis that Moses wrote, that these things were read to to the Israelite nation in the wilderness. They had experienced great trauma as slaves of the Egyptians. And here, God is showing them through his servant Moses, through the history of what actually took place, that that their time in Egypt was God's design to make them a great nation, that, that he had made good out of it, and that he had never left them, that he was always with them. And that was the promise to Jacob, that was the promise to the Israelite nation, And brothers, that's the promise to you and to me. Over and over again, we see God saying to his people 
and to you and to me. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He says that to Jacob here. He says that to God's people in Deuteronomy 31. He says it in Joshua 1. He says it in our New Testaments in Hebrew 13. He says it uh, as Jesus ascends, uh, right before he ascends into heaven, he tells his disciples, um, I will be with you wherever you go. I'm always going to be with you till the very end of the age. God's promise is that he is going to be with us. And he's going to save us, that he's going to be with us. The promise uh, to Jacob for salvation and for God's presence is a promise for you and for me, even this day. Second thing I want us to see here is really found in verses 5 through 27, and it's this great list of names, and it's the protection of God's people. Here we have, again in Genesis, like we do uh, in several other places, really long list of names. What does it mean when God gives us a long list of names? I hope in our study of Genesis over this last year and a half, you've actually been encouraged that when you find these long list of names in the Bible, that there's some significance here, that it's not just something uh, that was just put in there because uh, you know we needed to list these people, but that there's something God is trying to say. And I think what God is trying to say here in Genesis 46 and what uh, through his servant Moses, as Moses writes uh, the book of Genesis, is that this moment when Joseph goes with everything he has and everyone who's a part of his family, uh, is, excuse me, Jacob goes to see Joseph, that as they leave the promised land and go into Egypt, this is a very, very important moment. And we need to name the people that went. Um, a lot of commentators said that this, that this list here in verses uh, 25 through 27 is uh, has great similarities to the the list of nations that we studied in Genesis chapter 10. But I want you to notice some things here, even in the verses that lead up to um, this this list of names. I want you to notice that um, that Jacob didn't leave anyone or anything behind. I mean, that's part of the reason for the list. He took all the livestock, they took everyone, they took everything. This was a great step of faith. They weren't leaving anything back in the promised land as kind of a foothold, as kind of a fallback. Um, they didn't say, hey, you all stay here in case this thing doesn't work out in Egypt. Uh, you know, you stay here, we'll, we'll come back here. No, this is a great step of faith uh, to trust God's protection for his people. And it really was God's protection. I mean, there was a famine. This is uh, two years into the famine, and this famine was widespread. It was so significant that, that people were going to Egypt because Joseph, through God's wisdom, had, had established this store, these storehouses of food. And so in order to protect this very small remnant of God's people, just 70 people, in order to protect this, God needed to move them into Egypt. Or as some scholars put it, this is like another ark, uh, the ark of Egypt. This was a place where, where God's people would be protected. And God is, is protecting them even by what he, he brings them from Pharaoh. So, he, um, you know, Joseph is now in charge. And even as Jacob goes, he's got all these carts from Egypt to carry all his stuff. He, he probably had um, the word of Pharaoh to be able to get safe passage. Um, God was moving his people into this place of protection. 
And again, we can't lose sight of the audience here. Um, not just, again, the audience that we, we think about in, re, in regards to um, uh, uh, Jacob experiencing this, but the, the, um, the audience of the Israelites, um, that God had turned this group of 70 now into a great nation that was wandering there in the wilderness and headed back to the promised land. And so in Exodus chapter 1, you see this list reference uh, again. And in Deuteronomy chapter 10, you see this list referenced again. Um, God, through his servant Moses, wanted to make sure that the people there wandering in the wilderness understood that, that God had protected this group of 70, had, had cared for them um, so that they could become this great nation. And if there was a protection for God's people, this group of 70 in Genesis 46, and there was a protection of God's people in the midst of the wilderness, brothers, there's a protection for you and for me. And while sometimes that protection comes in physical protection, like we read about in Matthew chapter 6, where God says, don't, don't worry. Don't worry about your physical provision. Don't you understand that not a, pharaoh, a sparrow falls to the ground unless I know about it? Um, and, and aren't you much more valuable than they? Um, I'm going to take care of you. But sometimes we, we experience those, those times in our lives that where we don't seem like we have the physical uh, protection we need. But you see, God has something bigger in mind, not just our bodies, but our souls. And that's why he says um, to his disciples when he's speaking about this provision in Matthew chapter 10, he says, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body because they cannot touch your soul. I am the one, God says, who, who protects your soul. And that protection is the ultimate protection. And so... As the protection of God's people is seen here in Genesis 46, brothers, be sure of this, that even this moment, your soul is protected by God. He always protects the soul of his people. And then lastly, we see in verses 28 uh, through 34, the provision for the future. Um, as they move into, uh, out of Beersheba and they, and they head out, notice that it says that Judah was ahead of them. Um, this already begins to give us a description of why um, Judah was seen as the, the, the lead tribe and the, the, kings, the king, first king, came from the tribe of, uh, or excuse me, the, the leadership was coming from the tribe of Judah. Um, and he's leading them into Goshen. And two things here that are significant. First of all, um, this idea of being that they're going to settle in Goshen. Secondly, uh, Joseph saying, "Tell them, you know, tell Pharaoh that you're that you're shepherds, because shepherds are abomination uh, to the uh, Egyptians." So, what is what is all that about? Well, first of all, I think it's important for us to recognize that that Goshen was the land just north of of what is now Cairo, and it was the southern part of uh, the Nile Delta. Um, so this was amazing land for shepherds and amazing land for those who, who worked the ground. 
um, it wasn't it, it wasn't in a city. Um, they were going to be like the Bedouin travelers that they were in the in in Canaan. Um, but this this was absolutely amazing land, and and what uh, Joseph was wisely doing was setting up uh, his family to truly flourish and to flourish away from Egyptian corruption. So rather than having to embrace uh, Egyptian culture if they had lived in the cities, um, by placing them out in the land, amazing land, some of the best land, he was providing for them and their flocks and their food, but he was also setting them up in a place where they were not going to be corrupted by Egyptian culture. And as a result of that, their flourishing could cause them to grow large as a family and ultimately to grow into this great nation. It also gave them a a place, God gave them a place to gain an identity as his people. And so you see already here the provision God had for the future. There was was a a looking down the line and God was saying, okay, we're going to I'm going to put this group of 70 in Goshen, this great land. I'm going to keep them away from corruption. They're going to be in a place where they can flourish, in a place where they can gain identity. Um, God already thinking about the provision um, of the future. But notice the reunion, or we can't miss, I should say, this amazing reunion between Joseph and Jacob. And what an emotional moment that was. You know, it was Jacob who had sent Joseph off uh, to his brothers. And you can imagine that, that, that Jacob um, really blamed himself for what he thought was Joseph's death. And now he's going to get to see Joseph. And remember it said in chapter 45 that his, that his heart was numb, that he almost seems like he almost had a heart attack thinking about seeing him again. Um, and when he finally sees him in all his splendor, Jacob, uh, excuse me, Joseph rolling up in this amazing chariot with probably a huge entourage around him, uh, a, a leader, second in command of all of Egypt. And Joseph sees him. And it, and it says there in verse 30, um, or excuse me, in verse 29, Then Joseph prepared his chariot, went up to meet Israel's father in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck for a good while. Joseph hugged his father, collapsed on his father, and just wept there. What an emotionally charged moment. Um, I love that Alistair Begg points out, and we won't take time to look at it today, but that uh, Joseph does a whole lot of this falling on people's necks. Uh, excuse me, Jacob does a whole lot of falling on people's necks and weeping or, or hugging. He, he, um, uh, he does that to Benjamin. He does that to his brother Esau. Um, there is something uh, truly compassionate or full of passion uh, about uh, Jacob. And then Jacob says this in verse 30, and this is what I really want us to zero in on as we think about God's provision for the future. Uh, It says, Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die since I have seen your face and I know that you are still alive. Ever since chapter 37, um, most of the recorded words of, of Jacob have talked about 
uh, his, he's talked about his death, and it's never been a good thing. And yet the words here are really words of hope. Um, it, it's, it's, honestly, it's almost exactly like what we hear um, Simeon in Luke chapter 2 say. Remember that? In fact, turn in your Bibles to, to Luke chapter 2, because I want us to see this, um, because it's important for its connection to God's provision for the future. In Luke chapter 2, remember Simeon was there in the temple and and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Christ. So he wanted to see the Messiah. And when he and when and when uh, Mary and Joseph bring uh, Jesus to the temple, um, Simeon gets to hold him. And then Simeon says this in verse 29 of Luke chapter 2. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. I've seen the salvation. I can die now. And I honestly think that this is what what Jacob is saying. I've seen Joseph. I've seen the fulfillment. The puzzle of my life is making sense. I see now, God, what, what it is that you were trying to do here in my life. I see the provision for the future. I see how the promise that you have made uh, about never leaving us is going to be true. I see your protection. I understand these things now. And so I can go to death in peace because I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied for what you are going to do in the future. I, I, I can see it all. And it's, it's pretty powerful to think that Jacob is satisfied with God's provision. He's not just happy about the reunion. He is happy. Um, he's overwhelmed with emotion about this reunion with his son. But what he really is overwhelmed by is this satisfaction of God's provision. Lord, I see it. I see what you've done. You know, Jacob could see God's provision for the future. And Moses, when he wrote this for the Israelites, wanted them to understand that this same Yahweh, this same God of their fathers would provide for their future, their ultimate soul future, their ultimate salvation. And brothers, I think God clearly through his word wants us to see ourselves, his provision for us. And it's it's not necessarily that, you know, our sons are going to get great jobs and be, you know, CEOs of the company. That's That's not the point. It's the the provision of of the future for the things that God has promised. And you see that on John chapter 14, the the upper room discourse when when Christ is when Jesus Christ is speaking to his disciples and he says to them, I am going, he's going to a cross, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He wants them to know that even as he leaves them to ascend into heaven after the crucifixion and the resurrection, he's saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And, uh, 
and I'm going to have you come to me there. And then in Revelation chapter 21, uh, we see that place described for us uh, in this great um, vision that, that the Apostle John has of, of the, the end times. In John chap- excuse me, Revelation chapter 21, verses that I know are dear to many of us. John says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more. Uh, there shall be death no more, and neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne says, "Behold, I am making all things new." You see, brothers, Joseph is just a type of Christ. Uh, he is there in. In human history, a real person, this is a real story, this isn't a fable, but it's meant to show us, to point our eyes to Christ himself, who will be the ultimate ruler, the ultimate one on the throne, the ultimate one who will provide for us. Um, And we can be at peace and even go to our death because we can be satisfied that Christ, the King, has provided for us. Um, for our future and that that future is secure. That's why Paul could say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. While I'm here on this earth, I'll just do whatever Jesus wants me to do. I'll just obey him. Just like Jacob saying, where do you want me to go? You want me to go to Egypt? I'll go to Egypt. I'm going to seek your face to see where I go, but I'm going to trust you. I'll take everything. I'll step out in faith and do whatever you ask. Because I I trust you, Lord. And so, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. I'm not afraid of death. I'm not afraid of what they can do to my body. I'm I'm not afraid of the economics of a nation. I'm not afraid of the politics of a nation. I'm I'm not afraid of of the loss of, of religious liberty. I'm not afraid of the things that are temporal in this world because there has been or there is now a provision for my future. And my future is secure. It's, it's untouched. It's, un, it's, it's incorruptible. And so I know that and I'm sure of it. And so to die for me is gain. I go back to the question that that pastor asked uh, this past week, what is, what is God doing in our nation right now? What is, what is God doing in our, in our culture? What is He up to? And I'll say the exact same thing I said to the congregation on Sunday night. I know exactly what God is up to, and it's not because I'm a prophet. It's because I read and study God's Word like you do. This is what God is up to. God is up to glorifying His Son, Jesus Christ, through His church, through you and me. At all times and at all places, what is God up to in our lives, the puzzle of our lives? He is 
This is what he's doing. He is glorifying Jesus Christ through you and through me, through his church. And this is what's happening. No matter what we see swirling around us, this is what is happening. His promises are being fulfilled. And and his protection, brothers, is enough for us. And his provision is guaranteed. And so we can be at peace. We can say, I'm satisfied, Heavenly Father, with your provision. And whenever you want to take me, I'm good. Um, I'm satisfied. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your great promises, which are being fulfilled, which have been fulfilled which will be fulfilled. Heavenly Father, thank you for your protection. Some of it has been temporal around us, some things that we don't even know of in the way you have cared for us, but ultimately, Father, and most importantly, the protection of our souls. You have made a way in which our souls are secure in the salvation you provided on the cross. And Heavenly Father, thank you for the provision for our future that we could say with confidence, with joy, with fearlessness, that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Oh, Heavenly Father, take these words that we've studied in Genesis 46, seal them to our hearts, that we may live boldly as your men in this time, and that we may glorify Christ with our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, brothers.